This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. Accessing confidential data. Patrick Henningsen, thank you for joining us for this episode of On the QT, episode 5, On the QT at 21wire.tv. And this first 30 minutes of this podcast will be free and free to listen, free to download. And the final hour after the break uh, will be for 21wire.tv members and subscribers only. So if you like the show and you want to support our work, uh, do subscribe to 21wire.tv. TV and become a member. There's a lot of great content, uh, not just audio, but also video, premium video content, uh, and a number of other special shows up there that we share uh, with our members here at 21wire.tv. And this has been quite a busy uh, first couple of days to this week, and uh, we'll just crack right into some of the main stories. Uh, we'll give you a little overview of the news in the first half hour, and then in the, in the final hour, uh, for the members' side, uh, we're going to break into some of the real details of the uh, so-called Russian hack of the American Democratic and Republican committees. This is what the media in the United States is claiming. Uh, this is what uh, CNN is running as a story. And uh, a number of other high-ranking politicians in Washington are pushing this, which looks like they're main, mainstreaming uh, conspiracy theories in the United States now. So uh, it's not possible that it was an inside job or not possible that uh, maybe uh, someone from another party hacked the other person's <laughs> server to leak some very embarrassing emails. Of course, that would never happen in the United States. Instead, uh, it seems like there's a sort of uh, concerted effort. Uh, the choir is singing, blame the Russians, blame Putin. Why would Russia do it? Well, because they're Russians and because Putin's an evil dictator, uh, end of discussion. So we'll break some of the details of that. It's quite an extraordinary story, and the media coverage is, uh, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's one of those stories where you think to yourself, there's no way that they'll try to go mainstream with this. It's so ridiculous. And at no point along the line has anyone offered any evidence, or has there ever been an official statement Um uh, from the White House, let's say, uh, to confirm this. And, of course, no evidence is ever presented. But the media run with it. And so when all the networks run with the same story, the end result is, sadly anyway, uh, that the majority uh, or quite a large portion of the American people will believe that this conspiracy theory, uh, which is posited by the mainstream, by the way, mainstream politicians, and also mainstream media, that they'll believe that this is somehow true or that it's probably true. And in America, that's that's quite an important concept, probably true. There is no such thing as, as true in America. There's probably not true and probably true. There is no true or false. It's uh, That's gone right out the, uh, the window uh, in recent years. Um, we're living in a very strange reality right now. Uh, so that's we're going to break that down. I've got some some details and also some clips 
which I'm going to analyze from the uh, ranking chairperson of the Department of Homeland Security, the person who basically injected this conspiracy theory uh, into the media. So it's some of you probably say it's ridiculous, but let me tell you, it might be ridiculous, but they're using this to leverage and to manipulate uh, the electorate in a very close presidential election right now in the United States. And in the past episode of On the QT, we, we discussed and we looked uh, at the uh, statements from Julian Assange uh, from WikiLeaks and uh, his role and WikiLeaks' role in the outcome of the U.S. elections and how important that is. Also, more importantly, we, we talked about the motivation behind it. Uh, why would Julian Assange have that much skin in the game, let's say, uh, with regards to a U.S. election, um, does he have a personal stake in it? Of course, we showed you last week on episode four uh, what is Julian Assange's personal stake uh, in the outcome of this U.S. election. I think when you look at it from that perspective, um, things tend to make a little more sense. But nonetheless, these are real communications. Uh, some of these that have been leaked, um, have been hacked or leaked. We don't know which, but they're real. And they brought up some very interesting issues. Um, let's just get started with uh, some of the things that came out. It's pretty incredible. The damning uh, information uh, that's been leaked. You've also got a tranche of emails uh, that were from Hillary Clinton's uh, missing emails, emails that were erased or uh, were in the FBI cache uh, with regards to Hillary Clinton's email server investigation that he uh, Hillary Clinton was on or staff were searching for uh, medication to treat Parkinson's and of course this feeds into the uh, major another major event that happened uh, on September 11th um, where Hillary Clinton fainted and had to be carried and uh, into her Scooby van and basically sent off to who knows where I guess her daughter's house and not the hospital um, quite a serious incident, and it's brought up uh, huge health questions which are being discussed uh, ad nauseum uh, right now in the media. And, of course, this has also uh, prompted, triggered the uh, more liberal left-wing media and sort of the Clinton-supporting uh, networks like MSNBC and CNN to basically distract and put all the focus on Donald Trump's health, um, even though it's Hillary Clinton who basically collapsed in public. Uh, which is quite a serious thing. Um, so we see clues to perhaps past medical conditions uh, in some of these email leaks and also an admission by Bill Clinton, her husband, on national TV that somehow, for some reason, Bill let slip that this has happened a few times before. So we have a sort of health issue with Hillary Clinton, which is quite worrisome uh, for anybody, uh, especially if you're running for president. Um, and the Clinton camp is calling this pneumonia, uh, but this doesn't seem to fit uh, what happened. So what more likely is the case uh, and what seems to be the case, I think any real doctor who's looking at this story might say that this is a cerebrovascular, a chronic uh, cerebrovascular condition. So, or a, neuro, a combination with a neurological issue. And this is quite a serious thing for anybody. And it's something that, uh, it's a serious health thing. Um, she's had issues of blood clots before passing out. 
uh, fainting. It's just really scary. Um, so you would be, if you're a Hillary Clinton uh, uh, family member or supporter, you, you, you should be really concerned uh, about this. If you're an American voter, you're obviously going to be should be concerned as well. If this is the president, and uh, she's got this sort of a health issue, um, is is this going to be a good thing? If she's uh, elected president, uh, that has to be looked at and considered uh, quite closely. So, but uh, as expected, the media is fobbing it off, and is the other tranche of emails um, that's come out. And this has uh, been given to a, a group called DC Leaks, uh, which has been known to leak various things. We don't know if it was hacked or leaked. Of course, the media is saying it was hacked by the Russians. What it was was incredibly damning commentary by Colin Powell, former U.S. Secretary of State, former General, Defense Secretary, head of the first Gulf War. Uh, so Colin Powell, who was Secretary of State under George Bush, he basically let his feelings be known in private emails about Hillary Clinton uh, and Donald Trump, and clearly he doesn't like either. But let's uh, let's look at what he said about uh, about Hillary Clinton in the first email. This this came out, I think, via the New York Post first. But basically, this is Colin Powell uh, doesn't have many good things um, to say about either candidate and uh so with regards to hillary clinton and by the way colin powell's a republican but he normally votes democrat Uh, he did vote for obama in the last two elections and he says of hillary clinton he said this is a 70 year old person uh so i would rather not have to vote for her although she's a friend i respect but she's a 70 year old person with a long track record unbridled ambition greedy not transformational, and with a husband that is still blanking, uh, that's censored out. You can imagine uh, it's a a lurid term to describe uh, casual, leisurely sexual activity by Bill Clinton. And so Colin Powell saying, with a husband that's blanking bimbos at home, uh, and this is according to the New York Post. So that's going to have some effect on the Clinton brand, obviously, uh, which they're trying to always rehabilitate constantly. Uh, so that's uh, interesting. So Colin Powell's just basically lashing back at Hillary Clinton for throwing him into the email uh, scandal, basically. Um, the Clinton staffers and the campaign basically said Colin Powell did the same thing when he was, when she was blamed for the email scandal, tried to throw Colin Powell under the bus and say he did the same thing and drag drag him into this conversation. Of course, he had a lot to say about that as well in these emails. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into the Russian hacking, the truth behind the Russian hacking in the second part of this podcast. Uh, and just to look at another couple of stories that, that came in this week that I think are are worth looking at. This is a feel-good story, and you don't often get these in the news. Um, whether it amounts to anything is another another matter. But in terms of a feel-good story, um, it's always good to to be able to sit back and for people to smile. And when you read this headline, you might smile. French court sets date for IMF chief Christina Lagarde's trial. 
Now that's going to make a lot of people smile and be happy and know that maybe there is some hope in the world uh, that a high-level banker might actually get convicted uh, one day, perhaps. This is always a, a hope. Um, we haven't really seen anything like this since the uh, savings and loan scandal in the 80s um, when Ivan Boski and Michael Milken and some of these characters um, managed to do a little bit of bird, although in a country club, of course, type prison setting, but nonetheless did some time. So to see Christina Lagarde um, uh, tried for some kind of a major fraud case uh, is a good thing, uh, many people would think. Uh, International Monetary Fund chief Christina Lagarde, who has a permanent, she's famous for her permatan uh, that you look at Christine Lagarde's permatan would definitely give Donald Trump a run for his money in that department. So she will stand trial for her role in a 400, 400 million euro payout uh, as French finance minister in 2008 to businessmen. This is a lot of money, by the way, 400 million. Mm, not bad. So she made that payout in 2008. This is at the height of the housing crash. To Bernard Tappy, uh, a French court said on Monday. So France's highest appeals court rejected her appeal by Lagarde uh, against the judge's order. Wow. In December. Uh, for her to stand trial at the uh, Court de Justice de République. Uh, a special court that tries ministers for crimes in office. So she will show up. What will happen to her? I don't know. But you have to also, a little footnote here. Uh, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, also French, also former head, uh, IMF head or World Bank head. Um, he also went down, but in a slightly different sort of trial setting to do with uh, philandering in a New York hotel room with a maid, um, forcing himself upon uh, one of the staff. But if you really look at that story and you, you look behind that, that seemed to me uh, like a sort of convenient obstacle that was placed uh, in the career of Mr. Strauss-Kahn, and uh, he also was targeted. Maybe Christine Lagarde's a force for good, but you know when you see the IMF and the damage that it does to so many countries, especially uh, so-called developing countries, or what used to be called the third world, but that's not politically correct anymore, so we can't say third world, we say the developing world. Uh, the damage that the IMF does, the predatory lending this the, the the restructuring forced restructuring uh programs that it forces on these countries to basically cut back on it all social services and uh infrastructure spending in order to meet the interest repayments back to the uh fat cats up in europe and the united states at the international monetary fund wow they should call it the international debt fund should be called the idf but then they'd be competing with israel wouldn't they so they can't really call it the imf international debt fund um no I'm, I'm not sure what we would call that organization but lagarde could she do time uh it's doubtful uh people at that at that level generally don't uh and that's pretty high she's she's quite high up on the food chain in the worlds of high finance here's an interesting story and i thought i'd just run through this uh the united states has confirmed a, a groundbreaking uh, defense pact and agreement with the state of Israel. So United States is uh, looking at a 10-year deal 
uh, worth $38 billion uh, per year of military aid to the nation of Israel. So that averages out to about $3.8 billion a year. It's a slight raise from the past military aid packages that Israel's been receiving for many, many decades uh, from the United States. But see, in the past, uh, and the United States gives military aid to any country that it wants to control. So this first biggest, the top recipient in the world per annum is Israel. Uh, I believe number two is Egypt. Okay, so that's uh, having some control over both Israel and Egypt, two neighbors there, former warring factions no longer in the Middle East. Number three, uh, military aid, I would say, is Colombia. Colombia is the third largest recipient of U.S. military aid. What does that entail? It entails Uncle Sam shows up with a checkbook and basically gives them money, but it's a voucher, and they have to spend that money uh, with U.S. firms and defense contractors. That's pretty much for all aid, by the way, not just military aid. This is called tied aid, uh, as in tied to the United States. You must spend the money. So it's like I would go out, you'd be out on the street, you didn't have any money, I give you a gift certificate, which has Uncle Sam's picture on it, and you can buy every anything you want in my shop uh, for the amount redeemable on that gift certificate, but you have to buy it in my shop, otherwise it's not worth anything anywhere else. However, Israel has had special dispensation, as, as one might expect, uh, that it's the only country in the world uh, that doesn't have to spend all of its money uh, with shop Uncle Sam in the USA. It goes out and will buy its arms and weapons from anybody at once, from Russia, from Britain, from France, whoever. Okay, Now, that's been their prerogative, and of course, they, they drive a really hard bargain, as you can see. Um, they managed to uh, suck off $3.8 billion a year in welfare uh, from the United States to pay for all their expensive weaponry. So, but yes, this is the way Washington keeps its hand in affairs. Okay, uh, so Israel wants to uh, continue this. So the, they've done a deal with the U.S. and they basically said, "Well, you get we'll we'll spend the money in the USA now. We'll be like the rest of the countries, like Egypt and Colombia and all the other ones, Indonesia and whoever else you give military. We'll spend it with Uncle Sam, but you got to give us more in return." So they did. They raised the amount. And they guaranteed it for 10 years. So, you know, you'd think that I, I, I always, uh, I've always been told how savvy Israeli businessmen are and how good they are in business and making money. Um, but they can't be that good uh, if they're on the dole uh, with the United States. Um, so, again, this is a, a subsidized country, Israel. Um, so what would happen if it had to pay for all its own kit? That would be an interesting uh proposition uh so that's that's happening in israel someone uh sent us a, a message when we posted uh something about this story and uh they said well uh what about the the greater israel project and my reply was quite simple um what about it um the greater israel project is already done and dusted uh the great greater israel stretches from new york city uh, to Los Angeles, if if you didn't know already, so and this is this is a segue to an interesting article on Counterpunch um, website 
and uh, has Israel effectively colonized the United States? And uh, the author, uh, uh, Barudin Khan, actually makes an interesting... Uh, I, by the way, I don't like this website's view on Syria. They're very pro-regime change um, for some reason. So along the George Soros uh, talking point. But uh, generally on, on issues of Israel, they're, they're pretty... Um, pretty pro-Palestinian, pretty anti-Israeli um, occupation and colonialism. So they make a good argument here, is back in the old days when Britain colonized all these countries like India and so forth, uh, it, it then would commandeer the military of all these countries and have them fight for, the, for Britain uh, anywhere in the world, be deployed, the various brigades. So basically all these little countries, these colonial possessions are fighting uh, on behalf of uh, Great Britain. And if you look at the United States and its foreign policy, and uh, especially in the last 20 years, 25 years, um, basically everything that it's done, every position that it's taken has been uh, at the behest of, of Israel. So very much, so the United States is acting like a colonial uh, possession of Israel in a way. And it's a, it's a, it is, one could make the argument this is a case of the tail wagging the dog. Um, small country, but uh, Israel has nukes. Um, they've got nuclear weapons. Uh, they obviously don't want anyone else to have them in the region, but they've got them. And uh, they probably wield that stick uh, in the background uh, in negotiations on the red line, the red telephone. Um, I'm sure threats have been made uh, to the effect of what they call the mad dog uh, tech tactic uh, with regards to geopolitical diplomacy. Israel uh, always reserves the right to pull the mad dog card. Obviously, they've got the nukes. So why is the United States uh, controlling U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East? Um, Israel is controlling U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. And the two countries do have similar goals. Yes, it's true. Uh, in, in that respect, or at least the political elite do. I don't know about the people. Uh, in fact, I, I don't think the people do. Uh, but this is the problem. There's a lot of money involved in this relationship. Uh, the American uh, IPAC, um, Israeli uh, Political Action Committee, uh, has spread quite a lot of money around uh, every year, every election, congressmen, senators, presidents, even to state assemblies in some cases. So there's IPAC, Israeli lobby money everywhere. There's a number of these lobbies. And they like to keep control of the Christian Zionists in the United States. There's many of them. Uh, one of them is actually our, our, our man in Texas. Uh, his name is Michael McCall. And he is chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. He's the one that injected the um, rumor that Russia hacked the RNC uh, this week, uh, and so the, and that Russia is targeting U.S. election infrastructures and will hack uh, and the, the out and try to influence the outcome of the U.S. election. Okay, so this the, he's the one. And if you look at his home page, and we're here on his congressman's website, nice picture of Michael McCauley there. Um, I saw this guy on TV, and he's not he do, he's not very impressive uh, in terms of his grasp of anything, um, probably outside of Texas. Uh, but this is pretty much par for the course. 
uh, for most Republicans and Democrats in Washington, um, although Democrats seem to be slightly more in tune generally with foreign affairs, but that's not, I'm not giving too much slack there. Um, although John Kerry speaks multiple languages and can do deals and so forth, um, uh, they're not much better. In, fla- in fact, the Democrats are a little bit more devious um, than the Republicans. The Republicans are just completely clueless, generally. So they at least have the excuse of, uh, a genuine excuse of ignorance, whereas the Democrats are a little more devious. Uh, they use their left li- liberal cover uh, in order to execute uh, dirty wars and covert wars like we're seeing in Syria right now. So you, that's what John Kerry's doing right now. So here's Michael McCall, okay, and this is straight off his bio. First paragraph, as chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, my top priorities are to address the Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah terrorist threat, border security, cybersecurity, and fixing the Department of Homeland Security to ensure that it's capable of carrying out its core mission, protecting the homeland, the Vaterland, as uh, Hitler called it, Vaterland, homeland. This, by the way, in America, we didn't use this term before 2002. I'm just going to th- let people know, before the year 2002, we did not use the term homeland. This was injected into the American lexicon by design, uh, by the political elite, uh, by the military establishment, and the military-industrial defense complex. Okay, This is designed to militarize the United States and to put it into a military mindset. It did not exist. It was never used before 2002. Okay, important to note. Okay, so when whenever people use the word homeland, um, it's intentional. It's a loaded term, and it's used to basically reframe um, how Americans view themselves and their place in the world. And a lot of this is based on complete hot air. Case in point, uh, he says his main priority is to protect the U.S. from Al-Qaeda-Hezbollah threat. Hezbollah d- doesn't threaten the United States. Um, and it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Hezbollah uh, terrorist event um, any time in the last 20 years. Uh, it'd be very difficult, although they're called terrorists and they're attacked for uh, repelling or standing up to Israeli uh, occupations in places like Lebanon, for instance, uh, and they do tend to take the side of the Palestinians who are getting crushed uh, since the since the creation of the state of Israel, been getting crushed as a people. Uh, so Hezbollah, and they're based in South Lebanon, and so they they're not going to attack the United States. Uh, that's pretty certain. Their mission is pretty clear. It's to protect. Uh, Lebanon from the Israelis, uh, essentially, and also to repel um, their fighting ISIS in Syria. How about that? Hezbollah is fighting ISIS. They're fighting al-Nusra Front, al-Qaeda. So here we have this Texas congressman, head, head of the Homeland Security Committee, and he's got this nonsensical, ridiculous statement uh, on the bio on his website. And you have to then question, A, the intelligence of this person, or is he trying to be deceptive intentionally here by writing that down because the Israeli lobby who writes out his check told him to insert that on the website? It's very difficult to tell sometimes, but this is 
the way politics is in America, things are often difficult to decipher. So we can get in a little bit more into this gentleman and uh, the veracity of the so-called Russian hacks and basically will obliterate this conspiracy theory that's been floated by uh, the U.S. political establishment and the mainstream media in order to distract from the complete what seems to be the total meltdown of the uh, Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. Um, that's what it looks like anyway from a bird's eye view, but we might be wrong, of course. Uh, there's always that possibility. Uh, no one's perfect, but it sure looks like it. <laughs> the Russians are hacking the U.S. elections, really. That's interesting. So we're going to join you on the other side, hopefully, uh, on the second part of this podcast, which is for uh, subscribers and members at 21wide.tv. Uh, if you want to support us and you like what we do, you believe in what we do, um, do click on uh, the link available uh, to support us, to subscribe. Uh, we definitely need your support. Some great programs, by the way, that we're working on always and producing uh, for our members. So I'm Patrick Henningsen. I'm your host on the QT. We'll see you on the other side after this break. Tune in Sundays at noon Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the Sunday Wire for three hours of action-packed talk radio on 21stCenturyWire.com and AlternateCurrentRadio.com. This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. Accessing confidential data. Welcome back. Welcome back to On the QT at 21wire.tv. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen, and this is our new podcast. This is episode five. Uh, if you're joining us now, that means that you are a subscriber and a member at 21wire.tv. And I just want to say thank you very much for your support and for helping us to produce this and many other programs, uh, not just here at 21wire.tv, but the day-to-day -day news and the Sunday Wire also at 21stCenturyWire.com. If you're subscribing and you're a member, you're helping make the, all of that happen. And we really appreciate your support. And we, uh, we hope that uh, we can still uh, come up with some new and innovative uh, ideas and programs, which we're working on now, and we will uh, in the coming weeks and months. Now, back to the original docket of stories. Um, now, before we get into the Russian uh, conspiracy theory of the Russians hacking the U.S. elections. And we've got some interesting clips we're going to play. We're going to break that down, analyze it, and just show you how ridiculous uh, this particular conspiracy theory is. But it is interesting to hear it actually from the horse's mouth. And it, to me, it's quite shocking 
uh, it's amazing that how people, even politicians, could go on national TV and just basically s- tell completely ridiculous stories. Uh, I don't see anyone from any other country doing this. I mean, even th- this even challenges um, some of the rhetoric coming out of North Korea uh, from Kim Jong-un. I mean, this is how ridiculous the U.S. establishment look uh, when they start blaming the Russians for everything. Now, the U.S. elections, uh, on, on a little side note, um, the the elections in the U.S. are going to be decided, as they have been in past elections. Close elections are going to be decided by the third and fourth party candidates. Uh, in the case of the 2016 election that we're in right now, the main spoiler um, who will either help Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, depending on which uh, swing voters join his camp, is Gary Johnson uh, from the Libertarian Party, uh, who was a non-event until Donald Trump uh, took the Republican nomination. And then all of a sudden, all the Republicans that were upset about the Trump camp, uh, like Mitt Romney and also the Koch brothers and various other support, um, money, and so forth, some things started flowing towards Gary Johnson. He's running all these uh, expensive radio ads in big markets all across the country, still running today, uh, his ads. And uh, so Gary Johnson, who's the liber- who is the, every year he's the Libertarian Party candidate. They, the, they never seem to find any other Libertarians in the United States, but Gary Johnson's always available for that job, and uh, although I agree with many of his uh, positions on uh, foreign policy, uh, watching him uh, melt down on national TV last week because he didn't know where Aleppo was uh, was a little bit embarrassing, and I do feel for him and his supporters. Uh, however, um, and but he sort of threw in the towel. He said, "Well, if the if that's going to trip up my whole campaign, then so be it." He's, he wasn't really fighting back. Um, so he's just uh, saying, I'm an honest guy. I didn't know where Aleppo was, or I didn't know what it meant, or I didn't know understand the question, whatever. Um, but anyway, he's polling at about 9% uh, nationally. And uh, so so Gary Johnson is, is essentially playing the role of Ralph Nader, okay? Uh, in past elections, uh, Ralph Nader helped to elect George Bush um, at, least, at least once. Um, and so... By taking, uh, as a third party, by taking just a few percentage points, key points, uh, away from one candidate, uh, it allows another candidate to go victorious. And I believe that Gary Johnson would be taking mostly Trump votes. Um, These are disaffected Republicans, never Trumpers, uh, who don't want to see Donald Trump uh, in the White House. They're still bitter from the primaries. Uh, they will be quite a few of them in the Gary Johnson camp. Now, that being said, uh, Libertarian candidate Gary Johnson will also attract a certain number of Bernie Sanders supporters who, like the Never Trump crowd, uh, don't want to see Hillary Clinton uh, in the White House, especially in light of the DNC uh, uh, hack that exposed uh, the Democratic Party for ra- railroading Bernie Sanders' uh, campaign uh, in order to shoo Hillary in. So those supporters of Sanders, some of them might have flocked uh, to Gary Johnson as a protest vote. But again, he is Ralph Nader. Uh, That's all he is. 
uh, for this election. Uh, I don't think he's going to table any serious issues. He won't be in any, any of the debates. And some might say that's unfortunate because we have a two-party monopoly in the United States. And I'm going to say you're absolutely correct. We do have a two-party monopoly in the United States. But but actually, um, we also have it's, – it's becoming more and more like a single-party state, a one-party state. So it will be determined uh, by the Supreme Court justices who are appointed – by the next president uh, as to what direction the country might be going in terms of the overarching uh, policies on major social issues and uh, moral issues. Uh, anyway, it's a circus at the best of times. So we're going to play, I'm going to play you this audio clip. Um, this is this is the audio clip from, uh, I think we've got a clip here from, from CNN about the Russian hack. This, so this is, this is Congressman, McCall uh, breaking the news to CNN today to Wolf Blitzer and again we'll we're gonna knock this story down and we'll knock down Congressman McCall in the process to show you uh, how foolish uh, this particular story is and this man is actually uh, listen to this trying to influence this US election in order to get Donald Trump elected well I think the question is are they trying to influence or just trying to undermine uh, our electoral process. I think the FBI director would tell you they're trying to just undermine uh, the integrity of the process. It's important to note, Wolf, that they have not only hacked into the DNC, but also into the RNC. So uh, they are not uh, discriminating one party against the other. The Russians are basically have hacked into both parties uh, at the national level. Uh, and that gives us all concern well, about what their motivations Mr. are. Mr. Chairman, I haven't heard about any Russian hacking of the Republican National Committee. I've heard a lot about the Democratic National Committee, but you're, you're giving us new information. You, you're telling us that the Russians have hacked RNC uh, emails and other documents? Yes, uh, they have hacked into the Republican uh, National Committee. Uh, so this is, uh, again, they've, uh, they're not picking sides here, I don't think. They're, they're hacking into both political parties. Uh, what they intend to do with that information, I don't know. It was interesting to watch uh, you know, Mr. Putin talk about how Russia had nothing to do with this, but that how it was good to be transparent for this to come out publicly. I don't trust Mr. Putin. Um, I don't trust his uh, intentions. I think Russia is not our friend here either. Okay, so that was uh, Congressman McCauley uh, there. And uh, what is he saying? Uh, he's saying that uh, straight up on national TV, saying that the Russians have hacked into both the DNC and the RNC. And then the Wolf Blitzer, who is the Situation Room is the name of his show, and they should really call it the Endless Situation because it's, uh, it seems to be the dangling situation, um, like the uh, Simon and Garfunkel tune. Um, it never ends uh, with this guy, and he's... Wolf Blitzer would be the equivalent of a blonde bombshell uh, anchor. He's a total airhead. Uh, and it, it very, very, very rarely will you see Wolf Blitzer um, actually engage uh, in a story like a journalist would. Normally, he's just completely like a robot. So he, he says, well, I, I haven't heard about uh, any hacks into the DNC. And... Uh, He's all, but I've heard about hacks into the 
the the DNC, but not the RNC. So it, it's all about what you've heard. So as a journalist on a major news network, um, it's not it's not that you've heard something; it's that you know something. But again, these they're they're trading in rumors and conspiracy theories. Co, they're they're claiming that Russia has hacked uh, both uh, the Republican and Democratic uh, committees and hacked into U.S. Uh, election voting systems even. So what they're doing again is setting up uh, whatever the result is on November 8th. If Donald Trump gets elected, uh, then the uh, left wing will claim that Russia hacked the U.S. elections and that the uh, uh, somehow it'll, it'll plant the seed of doubt in the mind of um, Americans who are, cannot think for themselves um, that's the number one thing. But but what this congressman's doing here, this Department of Homeland Security uh, head, uh, and what is being attempted here is they're trying to use an event like a leak or a, a genuine inside hack or an inside leak, which is more likely what it is. They're trying to use this to further a bigger agenda, uh, so to further a wider uh, underlying agenda. Uh, which is basically to position United States as a, a geopolitical foe of Russia. Now, who benefits uh, from this arrangement? Uh, who benefits? Number one is the military-industrial complex, okay, and all the war hawks that are backing Donald Trump and all the war hawks that are backing Hillary Clinton, okay. So although Donald Trump seems to be uh, friendly towards Russia, that's not going to matter too much uh, when he becomes president because the machine is already positioned against Russia. We've got assets, and NATO has gone all guns blazing right from the Baltic Sea uh, right around down to uh, Georgia, Georgia, South Ossetia, Uzbekistan, and Armenia, Azerbaijan. All these are basically theaters, the Crimea, Ukraine, uh, and the whole of Eastern Europe as well, Poland. Uh, these are all sort of theaters for NATO, led by the United States, uh, in order to drum up tension against Russia, in order to basically kickstart a new arms race. That's all. Okay, and to if you want to extend this down to Syria, uh, this is also the could be the case. You could argue that case there too. Um, the U.S. establishment, the British arms establishment, the French, they want a new arms race. They need a new arms race to survive. Otherwise, a number of those companies are going to go under. Uh, and also they need to justify some sort of existential threat uh, in order to justify the amount of money they're spending on all the stuff. And then Donald Trump says, I'm going to rebuild the military. Uh, that's great. Uh, that says Obama's dismantled our military. Listen, our mil the United States military's budget just keeps going up and up. It hasn't been cut. Okay, it's, it's increased actually. Uh, and if you count all the black budget programs and all the other black budget boondoggle programs, uh, you're talking about expenditures upwards uh, over a trillion dollars, okay? And that doesn't count sort of even the CIA uh, end of it, which overlaps with the Pentagon in, in a number of programs and areas, okay? Uh, from telecommunications to cyber warfare to drone uh, fleets and so forth. So to say that the U.S. isn't spending enough uh, on <laughs> military uh, hardware, it's a joke, okay? That's a laughable comment. Anytime you hear that comment, you should dismiss it out of hand as somebody who's basically shilling for the military-industrial complex. Okay, and if Hillary Clinton's elected president, it'll be also the same. The budget will just go up. Okay, 
and uh, Hillary Clinton will find wars and enemies overseas uh, to position the U.S. against to justify uh, this huge arms industry. Okay, and she's already made that clear to that she's Vladimir Putin is like the next Adolf Hitler uh, as far as Hillary Clinton's concerned. Okay, and President Obama made a speech uh, as Hillary was uh, uh, an invalid this week. Uh, Obama would, went out campaigning for her, which is interesting. So they uh, had to send out the big guns, and he gave a speech. I, I could play I could play it for you, uh, basically saying chastising Donald Trump for uh, saying compliments to Vladimir Putin. Obama, President of the United States, called Putin a dictator who jails dissidents, who's taking away his people's liberties, and so forth, which sounds a lot like uh, Barack Obama uh, in terms of uh, there's a number of jailed dissidents I could rattle off here, uh, especially whistleblowers. Um, and first of all, Bradley Manning. Uh, so he's languishing in prison. Uh, as a result, and Ed Snowden can't even come back uh, to the country because uh, he won't be given a fair trial. That's certain. So who's Obama lecturing uh, with regards to Putin there? Uh, I think he's talking about himself quite quite clear, clearly. But it's this idea that uh, we need to be afraid and we need to hate Russia. I mean, this is just old Cold War rhetoric, and it's it's kind of funny to see Democrats who generally are all of the communist pedigree, many of them, of the community organizers of Chicago, the Solinsky disciples like President Obama, who probably is a, you know, card-carrying uh, student, uh, socialist, communist, or whatever, uh, when he was in college, and um, definitely a Marxist on many levels, and to see them uh, now all of a sudden, like I guess because Russia is not communist. Um, they're no longer appealing, I guess, for the left, so they're going against them now. So really, the left is adopting a neoconservative um, position uh, geopolitically, and uh, this is this will go over the heads of most people who consider themselves Democrats or liberals. They won't know what I'm talking about right now, but yet they'll be parroting the same lines that Obama and Clinton are parroting. So my point, ladies and gentlemen, is I'm not endorsing either side of this two-party circus in America. What I am telling you is that uh, over the whole program in its totality is is basically one giant disingenuous fraud. Um, that's becoming more clear by the day, and especially um, in Syria. Um, and speaking of Syria, we'll get back to the Russian hack in a minute, but I want to share this story with you because uh, not a lot of people reported this. However... Uh, we do have a story up at 21st Century Wire uh, with this particular event. Uh, this is quite an unusual event, uh, which took place this week. Uh, and the the headline reads, uh, Israeli warplane and drone shot down over the Golan Heights by Syrian air defenses. Okay, this is news coming out of the Syrian military command. They have no reason to lie about this. But Israel has every reason to deny it happened. Okay, so they're they're claiming that the Syrian air defenses brought down an Israeli jet, I think an F-16, and a drone, uh, which had entered uh, Syrian airspace illegally. Um, over, uh, uh, I'll pronounce. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but um, Kunitra uh, government. This is in southwestern Syria in the Golan Heights region, uh, presently occupied by Al Qaeda, Al Nusra who are actually getting assistance from Israel and have been 
um, in the past. So this is maybe this is why Israel felt it could fly over this uh, Al Nusra occupied area because it seems to be liaising with some of these terrorist groups um, who are destroying the nation of Syria. But uh, so this is a right out of Sanaa news agency. This is a state news agency. General Command of the Army announced Tuesday that uh, Israeli enemy air force attacked a Syrian military position in the countryside of the southern uh, Kunitra province uh, around 1 a.m. on September 13th, 2016, local time. Okay, so what happened uh, was shot down. Uh, Can't recover uh, because it's in the terrorist uh, area, so I don't think they'll... Israel will be able to recover it, but not the Syrian Arab army. That might be difficult. Um, but it seems to me that Israel is probably running some sort of air cover uh, for terrorist groups on the ground, uh, much the same way that Turkey uh, is doing this uh, along the northern side as well. Uh, so, But you also have to say Israel has a track record of airstrikes, illegal airstrikes, uh, also targeting mil- Syrian military positions, uh, at least six, six to eight different uh, events over the last three years. We've got links to them at 21stCenturyWire.com, uh, all the different attacks. And if you click through that story and you see the, uh, the 21 Wire previously reported over the past four years uh, during the Syrian conflict, multiple incursions and attacks have been carried out by the IDF uh, Israeli Air Force inside Syria. There's a list of all of those with details of what happened, what the targets were, when it took place, and so forth. Uh, so very interesting story. And uh, what does this mean? It means that uh, it seems anyway that Syria is now enforcing its borders uh, with regards to Israel. And I think it wouldn't be able to do that before November of last year because uh, the difference between then and now is that Russia, uh, Russian Air Force are now working with Syrian Air Force to basically enforce uh, its airspace. Uh, so no longer a pushover uh, with Russia in residence. Um, Israel can't be very happy about this, obviously. But then again, um, Israel didn't seem to protest too much when uh, al-Qaeda, al-Nusra, basically took UN peacekeepers hostage in the Golan Heights that had been enforcing um, a peaceful resolution since 1974, 73. Okay, Israel didn't protest at all when al-Qaeda took over the UN position. That should tell you a lot about where Israel's at in regards to Syria. Uh, They're playing coy and cute, but at the end of the day, they're complicit with uh, international terrorist groups there. Uh, That's pretty obvious. Um, So you'd think they'd be concerned uh, being Israel, but no, they're not concerned, which makes me wonder whether they're actually working somehow um, coordinating uh, with some of these uh, fighting rebel, so-called rebels uh, in Syria who are basically terrorists. Uh, so let's we'll, we'll look we'll keep an eye on that story. Okay, back to Congressman McCall. And so here's the CNN coverage. Listen to this. It is interesting. So this is how it rolls out to the U.S. public when they start talking about these Russian hacks. Listen to this. We're also getting, and you just heard it here in the Situation Room, breaking news uh, from the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, uh, Mike McCall. 
He has released, he has revealed now for the first time that not just the Democratic National Committee was hacked, but he says the Republican National Committee was hacked as well, uh, even though that has not been made public yet. Uh, we're trying to get a statement from Reince Priebus and the Republican National Committee. He says the Republican National Committee has been hacked, presumably, he says, by the Russians, the same hackers who engaged in the hack of the Democratic National Committee. Let's get some analysis uh, reaction from our panel. Gloria Borger is with us. Uh, when you heard that, Gloria, what, what did you think? Because this is new information. Yeah, it was it was stunning uh, to me uh, to learn that uh, presumably, as he said, uh, it's the Russians doing it and they're equal opportunity offenders. Uh, what we have not seen is uh, the Republican National Committee talking about it, nor have we seen any leaked emails uh, like we saw uh, from the Democratic National Committee. But it seems to me that uh, serious questions have to be raised uh, on the Intelligence Committee, and I think that's what he was talking about, about uh, the potential for a foreign government to be trying to influence uh, an American election on, on both sides uh, of the aisle. And, you know, we know spying goes on. We're not shocked about that. But I think that uh, this takes it to uh, to quite a different level, Wolf. David. Okay, so and 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 where does this story go? Well, it turns out that uh, our big uh, Homeland Security Macaulay, the one who put the conspiracy theory out that Russia hacked the Republican uh, National Committee, uh, started walking it back uh, already uh, a couple of hours later. And then, of course, I'm not surprised by this. But then he claims this uh, this brilliant uh, congressman here from Texas, uh, intellectually challenged, uh, it's as it appears to be, or he's just plain deceptive. Um, he said he misspoke when he asserted that the RNC had, uh, data had been hacked, amending his remarks shortly after a top RNC official disputed his initial statement. So this is <laughs> amazing. Chairman of the House Homeland Security Commission, Committee puts out a lie basically, and then tries to walk it back saying he misspoke. And you have to say this guy is completely, I don't know, I don't want to say any bad remark on the air here for this podcast, but uh, I think, wow, I could say a lot of interesting things about this. So ginning up uh, hatred between Americans and Russia is this congressman here. And this has already gone across the U.S. media now, and it's too late. Uh, more fear, more hate of Russians uh, created by a conspiracy theory. So the, I've always said that the biggest purveyor of conspiracy theories is the government. Okay, and this story just proves that. Okay, we talked about 9-11 a couple of uh, days ago in the 15th anniversary of September 11th and uh, the biggest conspiracy. They call people who challenge the official story conspiracy theorists. However, the biggest conspiracy theory of all is the one, the official story of 9-11, that uh, 19 Arab hijackers uh, <laughs> and Osama, under the direction of the uh, bearded Osama bin Laden um, maneuvering from a cave in Tora Bora somehow uh, managed to get the whole of NORAD and the whole Eastern Seaboard, seaboard Military Establishment to stand down and all the air traffic controllers and all the other uh, jets that normally scramble um, this was all canceled, and somehow this was done from a cave in Afghanistan. So that's a wild conspiracy theory, just like the Russians are hacking the U.S. elections. 
Let me tell you, the Russians don't need to hack the U.S. elections because the U.S., the number one hackers uh, of U.S. elections are the Americans themselves, okay? And you want to talk about vote rigging. You want to talk about electronic voting fraud. Uh, where do I start? I can start at 2000 and, and come all the way forward to the present day. There's so many cases of it in the United States, it's, it's, it'll make your head spin. But the, big, the, the real hack is, that's going on is, is CNN, okay? The, this is a bunch of hacks, okay, from Wolf Blitzer to all of their so-called analysts. Um, these people are leading Americans astray. They're doing damage uh, to the, the public discourse. They're putting out fake stories. They're running apologist uh, feel-good pieces for uh, Al-Qaeda and suicide bombers in Syria who they're backing. CNN is backing the rebels in Syria, okay? They're running feel-good pieces about suicide bombers saying how, 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 how we need to be more sensitive to their plight and all this other business. And then they're running fake conspiracy stories about Russia hacking uh, the American elections. You know, one day it would be nice to see one of these networks, especially CNN, actually investigate some of the real issues of voter fraud and electronic uh, vote hacking and fraud in the United States, all over the country, from from the year 2001 till present, okay? There's plenty to dig into there, okay? So that's what we would like to see, but we know that probably is not going to happen. Uh, not anytime soon. Instead, they're just going to be doing fantasy stories here. So, again, he's saying, yes, uh, basically talking his way out of this one. These guys always get a free pass. And uh, Macaulay then continues, uh, what we don't know is the extent of the damage done and why they were able to retrieve out of the RNC itself. Then again, that's the subject of FBI investigation. I've yet to see the FBI come up with any conclusive evidence uh, of whether or not the Russia or anyone else has hacked into any of the things that have been claimed. Now, Christian Amanpour, who is a globalist agent of the highest order, um, she is absolutely pro-Western war. Wherever you find a war, you'll find Christian Amanpour. She's the British uh, surrogate uh, agent. Uh, suppose, I don't know where she's originally from, but uh, she's... British educated and, uh, and de definitely pro-military establishment. She's an agent of the Pentagon or the CIA or whoever's work who she's working for. We don't know, but what we do we can tell by how aggressive and manipulative she is in all of her pieces to try to control public opinion regarding international affairs. Case in point, here she is with Oliver Stone, who's releasing a new film, the Snowden film. Uh, this is out this week. I think it's premiering in U.S. Uh, uh, places. And so the Snowden film's coming out, and she's got him on, Oliver Stone on, and she's asking him about the Russians uh, hacking the U.S. Uh, Democratic Committee or something like this. And Oliver Stone pretty much sets her straight. And uh, you could hear a pin drop in the studio. Um, listen to this. This is the segment. So this is Christian Amanpour, globalist uh, protector of all things of of globalism and war, uh, interviewing Oliver Stone. Listen to this. CNN's Christian Amanpour just last hour talked to the film's director, Oliver Stone. Do you think that he will 
uh, get a pardon, first and foremost? Does he really think he will? <clears throat> well, I think it's, it, he deserves one, and I hope he does, but uh, the odds are long with Mr. Obama. Uh, the two central truths that emerge from the movie, in my opinion, are the fact is that the United States government uh, developed and deployed a massive global surveillance system without democratic consent. And there was one person who revealed that, that was Mr. Snowden. And he did so with conviction and, and with love of country. I want to just quickly ask you about the U.S. election and Russia. Um, what do you make, for instance, of Donald Trump inviting the Russians to hack into uh, whatever servers in the United States to try, quote unquote, to find Hillary Clinton's missing emails? You remember when he said that? What do you make yeah. of yeah. of the that's use a, of, a... <laughs> of Russia in this election, including Russia being accused and suspected of hacking in to the American political system and potentially subverting uh, the election process in the United States? Well, I think it's a great fiction, and uh, it, it serves a purpose uh, to disguise what's really going on. The intelligence experts that I've talked to have indicated to me that it's probably an inside job, and... Uh, What's very important An inside job from so where? Often is it from the Democrats, from somebody who's worked at the committee? Hacking themselves. Or somebody who knows about it. Well, I'm telling you, I can't go into all that information. But the point is, haven't we missed the contents of what's been revealed? Of course, CNN's last reporting is that uh, top U.S. intelligence officials are confident Russia is behind those hacks. I'm Brooke Baldwin here in New York. Thank you so much for being with me. We'll send it to Washington now. The lead with Jake Tapper starts right now. Did you see the uh, CNN's uh, anchor, uh, Brooke Baldwin? She's, she rushes in to close off that, that recorded interview segment and say, actually, CNN's uh, reporting says that they're confident that the U.S. intelligence confident that Russia is behind the hacks. Okay, confident that Russia is probably behind the hacks. So we're very confident that Russia is probably behind the hacks. No evidence whatsoever, okay? But this is the sort of the, the whitewash uh, snow job that one is used to with these U.S. networks. Uh, it's real shame, uh, but they've basically dispensed. They cannot call themselves journalists uh, at all when you hear that. And so there's Oliver Stone, who has a pretty good track record, with a lot of things. He's called a lot of things correctly, of course. And uh, he's being railroaded by a charlatan, basically, uh, Christian Amanpour, uh, who's basically an operative and not a journalist. And she's trying to railroad Oliver Stone uh, right there on world TV. So that shows you how vindictive and uh, vicious some of these media operatives are and these organizations are. Uh, and still trying to demonize Ed Snowden. It's amazing. If you talk to the even the average American, they're happy that the Snowden leaks happened. Okay, we can argue about the the effectiveness or the uh, efficacy of what's happened afterwards. You know, it's it's caused more people to be self policing than anything, uh, and to self censor. But that aside. Most people would agree that he's he, that those it's good. They would rather know than not know what the government or the NSA is doing with regards to surveillance. Okay, uh, so in that sense, uh, you know, the, he, Ed Snowden's a whistleblower. Technically, you would then want him to get uh, you know a fair trial. Let's say, uh, not like uh, any of the other NSA whistleblowers.
who were harassed. Um, Jeffrey Sterling, I believe, and many others. Bradley Manning, we mentioned before. Uh, there's quite a few of them. I don't have their uh, their names to hand. Um, Jesslyn Rad- Raddick, I think, is another one. So these are all people treated like uh, enemies of the state uh, because they were. John Curacao is another one uh, treated like enemies of the state because uh, they were acting unconscious because something was very wrong. Okay, and trust me, the person who leaked the Abu Ghraib uh, photos from out of Iraq. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to them, but if they could uh, throw them in prison forever and throw away the key, they would, okay? Um, Call that treason or espionage or whatever, okay? So there's CNN trying to cover up the crimes and uh, preserve the false image of uh, the kinder and gentler Democratic administration that is even more brutal than the Republicans on many levels, with regards to their uh, operations overseas. So isn't it amazing uh, to, to, to listen to that? And then you have to wonder uh, what else uh, is going on with this story? How else can it be manipulated? Uh, so there's another character here, a very colorful character. His name's Michael Flynn, uh, former head of the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency. Um, he's a regular on Fox, and they put the question to him as well. Uh, is Russia behind these hacks? And here's what he says. Extraordinary to it hear is. such I mean, it's, frank it's discussion I mean, it's, from somebody like that. Let me ask you, though. So it's do so you think this was level. Russia? I mean, do you think Russia is behind the DNC uh, hack and this hack? And if so, why? Well, who would know would be our, the White House would know if that was the case. And certainly uh, those in our intelligence community would know, would know if, that, if that is the case. You know, I really don't know. What I know is that. Why would they go that, after Colin Powell? Well, I, you know, hey, everybody's everybody that's in a that's a highly visible person. When somebody finds that kind of, you know, sort of titillating, whatever you want to call it, you know, information, it's publicly it's going they're going to make it publicly available. I mean, people have got to come to grips with their emails, you know, and their those that are high visibility people. He's a high visibility person. He obviously said some really mean things. I mean, at the end of the day, he said some really mean things. Now he mm-hmm. thought that they were private, but. Megan, nothing is private when you are a target of whether it's an anonymous group or whether it's a nation state. I don't know whether it's Russia, but it could be a whole bunch of countries. Mm -hmm. Well, I've said many times, in 2016 America, it's no longer enough to pretend. You actually have to be a good person. They will find out if you're not. It's over. Forget it. A rare case of uh, philosophical insight by uh, uh, Fox uh, News anchor Megyn Kelly there. She's actually correct uh, in in this new age of... uh, Cy- the new cyber age, uh, the age of digital everything. Uh, you, if you're in a public uh, position or you're a pu- elected official, you, you you're not going to be able to hide very much in terms of your communications, and that in itself is quite a profound thing. If you think about that, uh, hackers getting in, posting stuff up, the 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 power of WikiLeaks. This can be a positive thing, but it can also be uh, it can also be hijacked itself. So the so-called whistleblowing or the hacking itself can be hijacked and you have limited hangouts and these other sort of concepts of uh, half and half, some real, some fake information put out uh, in order to basically uh, somehow manipulate the public conversation uh, one way or the other. Unfortunately, this is what comes along with technology. This is what we have to deal with and sift through uh, in the 21st century. So we have to basically use our brains uh, maybe a lot more uh, than we have had to in the past. 
So, yeah, yeah, we'll find out what sort of people they are and their private conversations. Colin Powell, see what he really thinks about all his colleagues and the people that he rubs shoulders with at cocktail parties uh, in the Hamptons in Long Island in New York. Uh, And if you know where I'm talking about, you'll know what I'm talking about. That's the reality, okay? No conversations, no views, almost hardly at all will be allowed to be private uh, going into the future. Um, This can be a a good thing, but it also can be uh, maybe not such a good thing either. Um, So the loss of privacy uh, in total. So if you don't want those communications uh, to be known, if you're an elected official, then chances are it's probably a good idea not to email them uh, to your colleagues, especially if you're talking about Bill Clinton doing you-know-what to bimbos at home while Hillary's out uh, on the campaign trail. Uh, that's what Colin Powell was talking about. So that's not going to not going to wash well with the rank and file. So where we're at with this story is th- th- this is this isn't going to be the last time. Okay, if you remember, uh, uh, probably a year a year or two ago, it was the the film called The Interview, starring James Franco and Seth Rogen, Sony Pictures, uh, and at the same time they claimed Sony. Uh, Sony Entertainment was hacked, okay? Sony Studios was hacked. Do you remember that story? And they blamed, of course, North Korea for the hack. And uh, I think it was the notorious, uh, they made it, They even made up a, a story about Bureau 121 or something like this. It was like some secret underground uh, hacking unit run by Kim Jong-un, you know, with uh, Commodore 64, uh, uh, 486 uh, PC computers, batteries of fax machines and whatnot, uh, uh, hacking the U.S. establishment. And they Sony claims it got hacked by Kim, you know, because he was angry because they made this film uh, in which he was blown up at the end and um, wasn't too happy about that. And so, and other people weren't happy about that either. So a little bit cheeky on the part of Sony to make that film. But regardless... They blamed it on North Korea. And even the president of the United States gave this speech, uh, I think it was after Christmas or right before Christmas, where he mentioned uh, when the scandal was going that North Korea and that we, we don't tolerate this sort of hacking into our corporations and stuff like that. There was never any evidence presented, okay, to prove that North Korea actually hacked Sony. In fact, more evidence indicated that it was an inside leak or an inside job, or someone who had worked for the company. Okay. So so we had the President of the United States basically spouting out uh, a conspiracy theory. And, you know, I criticize Barack Obama, and I have done for a long time. And when I saw that, and when I heard that, and I say, gosh, that's the guy who's meant to be the head of the U.S., who's basically going on about a, a, a ridiculous kind of imbecile level conspiracy theory about Kim Jong-un hacking Sony International, okay, and making an international incident out of it. It made me lose a lot of respect for the president at that point because, of course, he's, you know, does he understand, the, you know, what he's doing? That if that is proven and, at, and kind of has been, but, you know, would he feel any shame or be embarrassed? And the problem is these people, they don't care if they get it wrong. They could say one thing. They could say that it's an alien invasion on Monday, and then they change their mind on Tuesday. They don't care. They and clearly they don't care if they have 
any credibility as elected officials. And this is the problem. So they can just surf from one made up sort of theory or, or you know, conspiracy theory to the next. Okay. And, and they point the finger at uh, people out in the uh, sort of independent media calling us conspiracy theorists. You know, Kim Jong-un hacking Sony. Give me a break. You know, but, but give me a break. Russia hacking the U.S. elections, you know. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Okay. As Oliver Stone said, it's a bit of fiction. And, uh, but th- this is the fiction the media feeds on. If you look at how Christian Amanpour attacked Oliver Stone on, on air, in, in the sort of uh, dodgy way that she did. That shows you how angry that these establishment operatives, media operatives get when someone shatters their world of illusions that they're selling to us. And Oliver Stone just got up there and just basically said it like it is. So he, the only person brave enough to challenge this stupid story is Oliver Stone. And there he is, challenging all of them at CNN basically, and uh, making them look stupid. But, of course, if, you're, if you yourself are stupid, you won't be able to know that they are being made stu- to look stupid by, by Oliver Stone. Um, you will have no idea that that's happening. Okay, If you're smart, you'll see that uh, Oliver Stone is making them look dumb. Um, but if you're not smart, you won't see it. Uh, and that's the problem. There's quite a few million people that probably won't have caught that, unfortunately. And I, I blame the media for that, not the people. Because the media have been brainwashing the public forever. And this is the result, the result of, of 20 or 30 or 40 years or 50 years of continuous brainwashing is that uh, now we have people who call themselves journalists or anchors who can just put out a completely fictional story, a made-up story, like Russia hacking the U.S. elections. You can't get any more bombastic than that. And uh, most people will just take it at face value and say, oh, okay, well, Wolf Blitzer said so, or Morning Joe said so, or Rachel Maddow said so, so some of these U.S. people, and then they'll echo this maybe through some of the British media and some of the European media who also want to demonize Russia at every turn. And then you have the president, my goodness. You know, I could play you that clip. I wish I had that clip, but I'll play you his speech where he's... uh, you know, talking all like sounding, putting his eubonics on for the Philadelphia crowd and basically t- telling off Russia. And uh, Hillary did the same. You know, why would you compliment uh, someone, a president of a country who's invaded the Ukraine, invaded and occupied the Ukraine? Russia didn't invade the Ukraine. Okay. So, so again, the president, the secretary of state, Hillary was secretary of state during part of that time uh they didn't invade the so if how could she be president if she thought russia invaded the ukraine it's just another lie that gets circulated and it makes me wonder what do these american politicians know are they really that stupid like do they know anything it it, it is it beggars belief sometimes okay so what I do know is the United States spent $5 billion, $5 billion to basically kickstart the process and manage the process of regime change in the Ukraine, and that is admitted, okay? And we have uh, leaked phone calls from uh, Assistant Secretary of State under Hillary Clinton, Victoria Newland, uh, c- uh, 
basically, and Jeffrey Pyatt, who was the ambassador in Kiev of the Ukraine, the U.S. ambassador, basically stage managing the transition of government in the Ukraine, literally handpicking who's going to be president, who's going to be prime minister, who's not. You know, and in the face of all this evidence, all this evidence, you have Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama telling lies, even after, in the face of facts, it doesn't matter. Just telling their lies to suit whatever this sort of agenda is. And the agenda is uh, the demonization of Russia and a new arms race. That's all it is. You know, geopolitical tension, global tension, more conflict, more confrontation, but more more contracts at the end of the day. Uh, that's that's the bottom line. So, to hell with the facts, to hell with uh, reality, to hell with history. Uh, we'll just make up our own story. That's what they do in Washington, basically. And and I'm not uh, endorsing Donald Trump either, just because I'm just because I'm criticizing Hillary Clinton and uh, President Obama. I'm not endorsing Bush or Trump either. Uh, I could give you a whole diatribe on both of those people and anyone else for that matter, including John Kerry. So you got to think for yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, that's the bottom line. Uh, you have to don't take anything they say. If it sounds outrageous, uh, chances are it probably is. And if it sounds like uh, a ridiculous cover story, uh, it chances are it probably is. And uh, that's the bottom line. So, where we where do we go from here? Uh, well, where we go from here is basically a busy fifty days up until November eighth, and uh, in our other show on the Sunday Wire, which is uh, on ACR, the Alternate Current Radio Network, every Sunday. That's a live radio show that goes out globally. Uh, we've been doing some fantastic uh, on the ground work in Syria. Uh, we're the, probably the only independent media to give uh, consistent. Uh, on-the-ground coverage uh, from inside that conflict, even from the front lines of the Battle of Aleppo. We'll be back there as well this week again. So if you like this broadcast, and uh, do do tell your friends about it, tell about On the QT, about 21Wired.tv. We, we need more people uh, to come on board and help us uh, expand uh, what we're doing this year. But we appreciate all your support. If you're listening to this show, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your help, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll have more coming up this weekend and next week as well. Uh, we've got some more surprises, a uh, special surprise for our members at 21wired.tv. And we'll want to share something with you and, and get your feedback from an uh, independent filmmaker. We're going to do a private screening for members only here at 21wired.tv. So keep your eyes out for that. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you very much once again. And uh, you're listening to On the QT at 21wired.tv. Take care. Mm-hmm.